Hello, everyone. Before this episode, I want to let you know that issue four of the Seasonals Quarterly Magazine is out. It is on our website, theseasonals.com slash shop. If you like what we're doing at the podcast, show us some love. Go grab a magazine. Maybe get one for your grandma or your oma. I hear omas love the magazine. What's an oma, you ask? Well, listen close to this episode and Melissa Fudge will tell you. I'm looking as hard as I can, and one of the kids yells, shark! I'm like, oh yeah, horn shark. And I shine my flashlight to see a juvenile great white swimming right past my group, like through us. And my stomach dropped. (laughs) But I was like, oh my gosh, this girl wished this into existence. This is the Seasonals Podcast, a show where we talk to people living the seasonal lifestyle. We take an in-depth look at the decision points they've encountered along the way. here with Melissa Fudge. How are you today? I'm good, Joey. Good. It's wonderful to finally get you on the podcast. (laughs) And the first question I want to ask you is one that I think you are not uniquely capable of answering, but I'm most interested to hear your answer to. And that is, I want you to take me and our listeners into the Tongass Forest. The smells, the sights, the sounds. Take us in there. Let's close our eyes and tell us what what we find in the Tongass National Forest. Well, okay, let's go into the Tongass. All right, so we walk onto the trail. The trail's gravel. It's wet and spongy below your feet. It might have been raining, but you don't feel it too much anymore because there's a canopy above your head. You can breathe in. Smell the cedar tree. You can put your finger in some sap from the hemlocks and smell that on your fingers. You'll have that for the rest of the day. (laughs) We can go over to the nearby huckleberry bush. But for the huckleberries, you want to take a whole handful, put them in your mouth. It's when they're the juiciest, they're a little tart. Mm -hmm. Then we can go find the plumpest blueberries. We'll keep walking. We want to be really quiet. If you're lucky, you might see a red-breasted sapsucker fly by. Are those real? They're real. Have you seen the holes in the hemlock trees? Yeah, I've noticed those as we've been walking. Yeah, that was me. (laughs) (laughs) You drilled those this morning? (laughs) Just for you. Aw. (laughs) I'm not the best tour guide around for nothing, Joey. (laughs) All right, here's a 20. I didn't say that. All right, let's keep walking. We'll walk past the stream. Since it's been raining, the water's flowing right now, coming down the waterfall, just rushing down, turning the ocean a tea color. And the salmon are pushing up the stream, push, and they can push back over and over again. I can't believe any of them make it. And let's be quiet again, because now there's a bear coming to catch a salmon. 
But Mama Bear's really fast. She runs to the stream, picks up a salmon, and then runs back to her cub who's waiting for her in the forest. On her first swipe, she got her one? Her first swipe, she gets it. Damn, she's good at this. <laughs> she's done it a couple times. Are we still walking? That's up to you. <laughs> All right, well, we'll keep walking a little bit. We can end our hike at the beach, and it's low tide, so we can go check out some sea stars, all the invertebrates, sea cucumbers, abalone, other things. What's an abalone look like? <laughs> um, you see the shell on the rock, and then some tentacles coming out. Tentacles? Things. I don't know the Ooh. word. <laughs> Can I hold one? No, it's stuck to the rock. Oh, okay. The shell looks cool, though. The shells are beautiful, and they're fun to find. Easiest to find in the forest from the mink or the ravens eating them. Or you just find the shell somewhere in the forest, mm-hmm. not even close to the ocean? Not even close to the ocean. Connection between land and sea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you've ever been to Guard Island... I went there a couple of years ago with the skiff, and we got out, we climbed around, and there were small abalone shells everywhere across the island, like covered. It was a feast. A feast. A crow feast. A crow feast. <laughs> What's your favorite bird in Tongas? I would have to say the raven. Why? Uh, I think that's... The first bird I became familiar with coming to Ketchikan, I spent a lot of time telling stories of Raven in the Totem Park, and um, Raven showed up a couple times while I was telling Raven stories and put on a show for me. So They wanted to listen? Oh, for sure. <laughs> How long have you been doing seasonal work? Uh, this is my fourth summer. Fourth summer. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you come up to Ketchikan in the summer. And what are your winters like? Uh, for the last two years, I've been going back and forth between here and Catalina Island, where I teach outdoor education. Um, that was in the spring and the fall. And then I have a short off season where I go home to Chicago, uh, maybe do a little bit of traveling, get a random job, like taxi driving, or taking care of my grandparents. And then do it all over again. So, and you've been a tour guide every year. You've been in Ketchikan, right? Correct. What parts of your personality do you think makes it easy for you to be a tour guide? Or what what about a tour guide comes more easily to you than other people, do you think? I think that my one of my strongest skills as a tour guide is... My communication skills, and I'm able to build strong connections with my guests. Uh, My tours have eight or less people on them, and I have them for four hours. So I essentially build relationships and make friends while I'm out there with them, and I can adapt my tour um, to each unique individual that I have. And then I say goodbye to my friends. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Make new ones later. (laughs) Do you have any like uh, tricks that make it like really quick? Do you have like a go-to move when it comes to that? A go-to move. Um, I do always try to learn names. Uh, I think people really appreciate it when you remember their name or remember the things that they're talking about. 
And other than that, just try to use my good sense of humor. Yeah. <laughs> now, when I talk about you and I say you're one of the funnier people that I know, one of the funniest <laughs> people I know, I, I had one friend tell me that, that he didn't like when I said that to people because it made them, it put him in a position that he said it made it like hard for him after that because then people are expecting him to say something funny. Do you think that's true? Like when I, when you hear me say that about you, are you like, oh, great. <laughs> totally. I thought you were about to ask me to do stand up or something. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> I would, I would love for you to do stand up. I think you would be amazing at it, but I'm not going to ask for that today. Which parts of tour guiding do you think take the most like deliberate practice or research? So uh, since I've been doing this for four years, I've done a lot of research on um, any facts that I'm sharing. I think there's so much I still have to learn. And in the last couple of years, I've been developing more and more where my first year I was throwing out facts at people that I learned, like tour guide facts. And now I'm un I understand the whole picture, able to like answer any questions that come along with it and completely paint the whole picture for them instead of just telling them one thing. Okay, yeah. So that was one thing I had to be deliberate about was making sure I completely understood everything that I was talking about and not just throwing out facts and just fact-checking everything that I learned from ATA and other first mm -hmm. jobs that I had. Other things I think I do have to be deliberate about continuing on um, with conversation. It can be like very draining sometimes. And after, you know, three hours, I'm already feeling done, like carry on conversation, um, especially since they are so small and personal. But um, yeah, you just keep going, I guess. Yeah, you push through it with <laughs> Like I'm doing now. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me a bit about what you do uh, on Catalina in the winters. Uh, on Catalina, we work with the school systems. So the schools bring in maybe like the 7th or 8th grade class, and we divide them into groups of 12 to 15. And every instructor there gets a group for the week, and we take them on programs and experiences um, through the different ecosystems on Catalina and we um, teach them ecology and um, talk about sustainability with them. Uh, we do like uh, a garden program. We teach them how to compost. Um, I'm often a garden coordinator where I'll kind of go through things with the garden for them and uh, bake them bread in a solar oven. Mm. Yeah, it's tasty. <laughs> And then um, we take um, like kayaking and snorkeling and night snorkeling, which is really fun unless you're an eighth grader. <laughs> <laughs> Do they not enjoy it? I've had a whole entire group chant, no night snorkel, no night snorkel, no night snorkel, as I'm walking to the back of camp to like, get them to go on the night snorkel. Wow. I was like, yeah, I don't want to go either. No, I was kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Did you end up going? Yeah, and night snorkels are the coolest. Like, how many people get to go in the ocean at night and with flashlights and see horned sharks and lobsters? Yeah. Yeah, all sorts of things. And they just didn't want to do it? Didn't want to do it. They went on the day snorkel, and it's cold. You know that, Joey. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yep. It's cold. 
Especially when you're not moving in your wetsuit for like an hour. Like yeah, I when, was. You're, <laughs> when you're like <laughs> right at the brake line just floating there and yelling taco. <laughs> <laughs> that was Joey. That, well, you know, <laughs> I thought that's how you blew water out of the mask. <laughs> and I just laid there for an hour. <laughs> yeah, I can work on my teaching skills a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Do you like dealing with the kids in the summer or in the winter more or the adults during the summer tourist season? Um, I definitely love working with both groups. Uh, Working with the students can be a little bit more rewarding, especially because we're teaching them. And we can also um, kind of tell them not to do stuff if we don't like what they're doing. We can't do that with the adults. My favorite group to work with our senior girls, I got to have a couple of groups like that when I was working on Catalina. And those are the ones the high schoolers are interested in coming to Catalina and exploring and usually excited about everything the night and snorkels. able to have discussion. Right. The night snorkels, yeah. They don't chant no night snorkel. <laughs> <laughs> but the adults tip. Yeah, the eighth graders don't hand you a 20. Yeah. That's a problem. <laughs> <laughs> that's the whole thing, yeah. right? <laughs> <laughs> that's why I've got to say a tour guide. <laughs> What's the last moment where you were out in nature and you had like a, a whoa moment or like a, a mind-blowing moment? Like you were seeing, perceiving out there and something happened that you were just like, that was a moment. That was crazy. Okay, well, since we're talking about night snorkels, the first thing that comes to mind is actually my first season on Catalina. I was taking a group of kids out on a night snorkel. There's maybe three other groups out there. And I had a girl, it was her birthday, and she was kept telling me, I want to see a shark more than anything. I was like, we will. We'll see a horn shark. Like Horn sharks are at biggest two feet in length. And... Um, the last, like, people that I've known to work there for seven years have never seen a shark in the cove. I'm like, yes, we'll see a horn shark. We're going to find one. Yeah. <laughs> and so we're, we're swimming around. But she wanted to see a real shark. Like, we'll see a real shark. We'll see a horn shark. We're swimming around. And I'm looking as hard as I can. And one of the kids yells, shark. I'm like, oh, yeah, a horn shark. And I shine my flashlight to see a juvenile great white swimming right past my group, <laughs> like through us. And my stomach dropped. <laughs> but I was like, oh <laughs> my gosh, this girl wished this into existence. <laughs> I was like, that's great, kids. We're going to swim back to shore. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to get out of here. Yeah, and it was hard getting the other instructors to believe me that I saw a shark and the other one was Carl so yeah. we couldn't get him out of the water <laughs> <laughs> of course yeah. he wanted to swim with it <laughs> so but, this was this a day or a night so it was a night snorkel a night snorkel okay so a night snorkel so you've got your flashlight and you shine it over and there's this great white shark yeah the Chicago <laughs> the Chicago girl was out of her comfort zone and <laughs> <laughs> a bunch of kids I was like, okay, let's keep swimming. That's a crazy moment. Yeah. So did you just get him out of there or did the yeah. shark go away? 
Yeah, the shark just swam by. He didn't care that we were there. Just swam out of the cove, and um, everyone got out of the water. And we tried to keep it uh, hush, keep the hype down. But (laughs) for the next, like, two days, I'd be walking with my group, and all I can hear is, like, shark, 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 shark. (laughs) There's the girl that took us to see a great white. (laughs) Well, what did the girl say that wanted to see shark? Was she happy with her experience? Yeah, and I said, happy birthday. <laughs> Did she have any clue like, <laughs> what had happened, like in the how crazy the situation was? I don't think that she could have fully have grasped how crazy that was. Yeah. But yeah, like I said, there was a lot of hype on it. So uh, that group looked very happy. They write postcards to themselves at the end of the week, and every postcard mentioned the shark. Nice. Not that I read the postcards. <laughs> Not that I read every single one. But <laughs> you mentioned you're from Chicago, which I have spent some time in Chicago because I have family there. It's not exactly the seasonal mecca where you would expect maybe seasonals to come from, but you're now one of them and a very good one. What do you think you got from Chicago that helps you be a better tour guide and seasonal? Uh, perhaps seasons. Yeah. (laughs) Having four full seasons. Yeah. It's crazy traveling around and seeing there's so many places that don't have seasons at all. They don't see snow or changing leaves. I think being able to go through these weather changes, um, has really prepared me for going in the cold water in both Alaska and Southern California. What was growing up around Melissa Fudge like? Were you were you always funny, rambunctious, and but also said you were shy, even though you're the life of every party? Was that how it was? Actually, I was shy. <laughs> I was really shy. I didn't talk very much. In fact, I think in fourth grade, I yelled once, and I got written on the chalkboard. It was a big thing. <laughs> And then in sixth grade, I sat next to Ben Palmer, and he would always make jokes with me, and I'd make jokes back. And then all of a sudden, I started to talk to everyone and come out of my shell by seventh grade. I was the woman you see today. Yep, the party girl. (laughs) (laughs) The center of the action when it comes to the social life of the town. But shy. Right. Well, of course. Out of the jobs that you've seen seasonals do, which one do you think you would like to do most? Yeah, I think I am doing the ones that I like to do most. I love tour guiding. I love being able to take people through the forest every day and be able to be out there myself. Like, I can't believe it when I'm taking people out there. Like, I'm getting paid for this to hang out with you guys and sit, on, sit at this waterfall um, and then teaching kids, um, be able to work with them and uh, see what's going on in their heads and kind of um, shape them or at least think that I am. If you had, like, say every kid in America of whatever age you want to specify got one day with you and you got to plan out what would happen and even the wildlife, you could have them come out at the exact same time and teach these kids something or show them something. What would it be? Like one thing that I would want to show them? No, like, so you get a full day. 
it's like Melissa Fudge Day, and you get these kids either one-on-one or groups of five, however you want to set up the tour, but you get to show them something, teach them something, give them a day, or maybe even like five hours. Oh, are you kidding me? <laughs> well, because cool. you're... Yeah, your thing is, you know, you're saying that you love teaching kids about nature and taking them out there and being in it and showing them something. I'm guessing that you have sort of an overarching message that you would love to teach every kid or every person of a certain age that maybe they're not they're not getting for the most part. All right, we're snorkeling in the salmon stream. Okay. We are going to see what the salmon are doing, swimming upstream. We're going to learn about the salmon. Then we'll go back into the ocean. And, of course, since I get to choose, we're going to see humpback whales fully breaching. Oh, yeah. Right before we leave, there's going to be a pod of orcas coming past. And I'll be teaching things, but we're just going to enjoy this. We're going to let nature do its yeah, thing. Exactly. We're going to go see some bears. Maybe we'll see them fishing in the salmon stream. Not when we're snorkeling, though. And then we'll end the day in the forest. Uh, we'll do a hike, and that's a good place to learn some stuff. And then we'll end it with a sunset on the beach. And honestly, when it comes to taking anyone out, you don't have to even talk a lot because you protect what you love. That's a Cousteau. Yeah, nice. <laughs> and you just get them out there and... I mean, eighth graders don't really listen to you anyways. I keep going back to eighth graders. Right. <laughs> they don't have to be eighth graders. They can be, they can be senior No girls. one listens to you anyways. So <laughs> just get them out there and see all the cool stuff. Plus, I want to do all that stuff. Right. <laughs> it sounds like you are showing them what you love and showing it in a way that makes them love it too. Yeah, and I definitely pretty much went to Alaska when I answered that question right. without even realizing it. And I mean, that's where I am right now, but it's a place that has left a huge impression on me. It's the first place I did any seasonal work, and I can't stop coming back. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that sounds like a, a full day, seeing wildlife. And of course, since it's a Melissa Fudge tour, there's going to be berries involved. Oh, I left and, the berries out. Yeah, well, you know, you talk about what you love. So. <laughs> We're going to forage for some mushrooms, too. Okay. What kind of mushrooms are out right now up here? Uh, right now, the winter chanterelles are everywhere. And then the more prized golden chanterelles are um, in certain hot spots. Yeah. That we won't and get to. We won't. <laughs> yeah, we'll keep going. <laughs> I'll edit that part out. <laughs> I love it when somebody, I'll hear at the bar, somebody asking, oh, where'd you catch that? And they'll be like, oh, Cape Askin. And the person does not get it. <laughs> <laughs> not a real place. It's Cape Askin. <laughs> That's where you get all your great mushrooms, huh? <laughs> yep, Cape Askin. Last year, there was a big kitchen or uh, chicken of the woods thing that happened where everybody on the island had chicken of the woods and was cooking with it. And I know you got into that. Is that did that happen this year or no? Honestly, I can't find it anywhere. And if anybody is listening and knows where it is, you have to tell me. Help. SOS. <laughs> yeah, I harvested it in August last year and I haven't seen it around. Um, I got actually a, a little hint yesterday of one that has just began to grow. But we'll keep moving on, right, Joey? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
how do you get your information about nature? Not the, not the, like the scripts or the facts that you need to learn for your job, but more of the stuff that you're interested in for you. Is it through podcasts? Is it a certain paper? Is it a certain website? Is it just the, the great people around you in Ketchikan? I hate my answer. David Attenborough. <laughs> What's wrong with that? <laughs> I'm sure every tour guide gets all their facts from David Attenborough. <laughs> but there's a lot of good ones out right now. And he has a series on Netflix called Nature's Greatest Events. And he actually has one episode on the salmon stream and one episode on the great feast that occurs here with the herring coming up from the deep oceans and all the animals feasting on the herring. Like everything that's happening here, he actually talks about in his series. <laughs> <laughs> and is it where did he shoot it all? Where did he go to to do it? Oh, it's in a lot of it is in Southeast Alaska. Some is in British Columbia as well. Gotcha. Is it his accent? Is that the big draw? Yeah, I try to sound like him on my tours. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I wear a name tag that says Melissa Attenborough. <laughs> can you give us some of that? Can you tell us about the great feed in an Attenborough voice? No. Okay. <laughs> if David Attenborough had a day where it was Melissa Fudge Day, where would you want him to take you and talk to you about and explore with him? I think like Greenland or something. I've seen some cool videos that he's done on Greenland, but I can't even remember what animals were there. <laughs> <laughs> but, but it looked cool. I remember that leaving an impression on me somehow. Yeah. <laughs> but I don't know. I, I guess like if you're going to go somewhere with David Attenborough that you let David Attenborough choose. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll leave it up to him. Yeah. <laughs> The, Let him know for me. The seasonal sponsored Attenborough Fudge experience. Yeah, can you can you get Kelly to swing that one? Yeah, yeah. I think she's, she could pull she's it working off. on it right now, actually. <laughs> she's sitting with him at the New York Cafe. <laughs> Outside of nature and tour guiding and Chicago type stuff, what are some of your hobbies and interests? Well, I mean, as you know and already touched on the berry harvesting and the mushroom harvesting is a huge interest of mine, what I've been spending a lot of time doing um, the last couple of weeks. Um, but I also, when I'm carrying my berry buckets, carrying my camera around, uh, strapped over my shoulder, I love um, being able to take pictures and I've been in great places to be able to practice um, shooting my camera. And then I try other things sort of here and there, I carry all my essential oils and lotion making things with, and um, been trying to teach myself how to knit, but mm, you're not getting a scarf just yet. Yeah. <laughs> Have you made some lotions out of stuff you found in the Tongas? Um, I've used Devil's Club, but not that I've harvested um, for pain creams, and it actually works really well. My dad. Um, broke his hip when he was younger and has bad hip problems. He uses the Devil's Club salve that I made him um, from the oil and then a couple other essential oils, and it's been working really well. And then I have recently made some tinctures using Usnia or Old Man's Beard, mm -hmm. uh, but haven't. It's still doing its thing. It's still in the testing period. Yeah. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> still in the lab. I know you speak German. Yeah. What's that from? Super. 
from my mom. My mom's from Germany, so she taught me a thing or two. Yeah, and you spend time back in Germany? Uh, yeah. I used to go every summer as a kid, and then it's been about five years till recently in the spring. Uh, I went back and stayed at my aunt's for a month and a half and got to hang out with my family and eat a lot of really great food. Oh, yeah. <laughs> did you get to go out into the woods there? Um, yeah, a little bit. I did some walks in the woods. Um, I was there in the spring, so I couldn't do any mushroom harvesting, but I did mushroom harvesting when I was there in the fall a couple years ago. I went in the woods with my aunt. We harvested some wild garlic to make soup for Easter dinner and just went on a couple of hikes. Now, when you're walking here, like you look around and you know the trees, the plants, the animals. Over there, is it totally different or are there some similarities? Um, it's pretty different. It looks a lot like Ohio though, mm-hmm. with the rolling hills. Uh, you feel just at home there. Yeah, I'll go, I'll go visit this winter. <laughs> yeah, you should. You can go see my Oma. Yeah. What's, what's like the top three things you got to try if you visit Germany? Um... It's hard to say because I see my Oma's cooking, and you're not going to get any of that. Right. Well, no, that's <laughs> but, why I got to visit Oma. Got to visit Oma. Definitely get the currywurst. It's a good, easy thing to find there. My absolute favorite food to get, if I'm not eating at Oma's, is actually not German. It's Turkish. It's called a Döner. It's very similar to Euro. That's the best way I could describe it, but it is... The best sandwich. I'll have to show you pictures later. Yeah. I think I've found some in Hungary. And oh. they were definitely, like, really good. It's like, oh, we just had dinner. Oh, I've got room. It definitely. I'll try one. <laughs> Load up on that sauce, buddy. <laughs> yeah, definitely. With the spices, too. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Mixing them together and all that. It's delicious. Have you ever had a near-death experience while you were working seasonally? I'm not sure if you can say near death, maybe could have been, Uh, but it was two years ago uh, when we worked as Zodi and ATV guides. Um, Lou and I actually went out with the Zodiac boats, and his parents were visiting, so his parents were in his boat, and then Cody, who was here at the time, who was my roommate at the time, um, was in my boat. And we're driving around. It's a beautiful day out south. And we were close to Annette Island. And a whale just popped up. We had been watching whales earlier. And another one comes up. We're like, oh, we can't get to where we're going. We turn our motors off because it's about 100 yards away. And it goes down. It comes back up about 50 yards away. Then it goes down again. And we're waiting for it to come back up. And in that moment, Lou's mom goes, I think it's right beneath us. I'm like, no, that doesn't happen. In that second, the whale comes up, boom, boom, and hits both of our tiny zodiacs and then goes back down. Lou's boat was completely flooded. Cody's phone went off, and we had like this video, and you just like hear water, then you hear his mom go, I wanna go home. Oh, no. She's the only one that was just soaking wet, but all everyone else was dry. It bumped the boat and knocked it up or sideways or what? 
Yeah, it just like knocked him up a little bit. We, we didn't go high because it just bumped us twice and then went down. I was like hanging on to the bar at the driver's seat, waiting for that tail, just so scared. But it, it was like, it's like, oh, yep, shouldn't go there. And it went back down. And so it knocked you up out of the water. And then when you came down, the water came over the side. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I th- I'd say that's, <laughs> I mean, you know, a whale or at least an orca hasn't caused like a human death. Right. So even if you died, that'd be a great story. So. Oh, yeah. A good one to say at my funeral. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's only been one known attack from an orca, and that was at Helm Bay, actually. Really? Okay. So not far from here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And just one boy was swimming, and an orca bumped him and then swam away. Oh, so I don't know if you can call that an attack either. Yeah. <laughs> when you originally thought about becoming a seasonal worker and then ended up doing it. What was that process like? How did you get talked into it or how did you decide? Well, so Ketchikan was my first seasonal work and I wasn't really deciding to do seasonal work. I was just deciding to go to Ketchikan for a summer. Um, I worked in marketing and I was kind of like in between jobs anyways. So it wasn't too much of a commitment to come work for one summer. Uh, so it's a pretty easy job to be like, yeah, I'll go do that instead of committing to anything else long-term when I have no idea what I want to do. And Lou had already gone for a summer, so he already kind of felt it out a little bit and knew what jobs I should apply for. And so I just applied for the job, came for one summer, and now I'm here for my fourth. What were you expecting when you first came up here? And then... What did it turn out to be like? That was so long ago, Joey. (laughs) You know, I don't think I had like a huge expectation. I had never been to Alaska and I was just finding out there was a rainforest in Alaska. So, I mean, that was already blowing my mind. I kind of just waiting to see, basically. And I was coming here expecting uh, to make my own friends because I was coming up a week, a week and a half before Lou came up. So like, I'll meet my own friends, then I'm going to introduce Lou to them and like, I already have my own community here and he gets here. My first day, I walk into the asylum and Joey walks up to me and says, out of all the places, you walk into my bar. <laughs> then my friends for the week were Joey and Ryan. <laughs> We trapped her. (laughs) Well, I'm sure if you told me your plan to make new friends that you could then introduce to Lewis, I'd like to think I would have helped with that goal. But I I don't know. (laughs) I think I told you. (laughs) All right. Well, (laughs) do you sort of talk about the seasonal lifestyle to young people at all when they talk to you about their future plans? Oh, yeah. For sure, um, especially when I was working with high school students on Catalina because high school student, students that are getting ready to graduate and they see they're the most interested in what we're doing there. They think it's crazy that we're just living on this island together and we get to go in the ocean and kayak whenever we want. And then we like tell them that, oh, yeah, we go to Alaska in the summer or, you know, this person goes to 
Thailand, like on off season, their minds are just blown that this is an option. But it's really cool because I only knew it after high school that college was an option. I didn't find out about the seasonal lifestyle till like 25. Right. It's one of those things that when you figure it out, you're like, oh man, this is amazing. But most people don't even know it exists. Like my grandparents tell me all the time, they're like, this just wasn't a thing when we were your age. And it definitely, because of the internet and media, like the idea, like possibility and feasibility of it has increased a lot. But I mean, there's still people like John Muir and Ansel Adams and, you know, all those people that they did stuff like that. And so there were, it was a thing. Maybe they were a little before my grandparents' time, but it it definitely was a thing. And so I think a big thing for us to do is to spread it as much as we can now that we figured it out, (laughs) you know. And I definitely can imagine you on Catalina, like... Listen to me, girls. <laughs> you don't have to go to college. You can come with us. <laughs> Follow me. But yeah, the young people that I've seen working here in Alaska, I've met some 18-year-olds like fresh out of high school coming to work here before they decide what to do. After that have been some of the most amazing people I've made. I've met. I was like so impressed by them just to have the opportunity to kind of explore the world a little bit before making other decisions, I think has been really good for them. And make money instead of like paying money you don't have for college. Exactly. <laughs> what do you think is a good timeline for like looking for specific jobs or going to specific places for people right out of high school? Like what would you suggest doing your first season and your second and on? Well, I think going into your first season, you definitely have to find an entry-level job, a a job that will hire someone right out of high school. Um, So I think tour guiding is good for that. There are a lot of companies um, that are seasonal tour guides that can train you as soon as you get here, and you don't have to have your college degree to work for them. And, I mean, to be honest... My experience is tour guiding and outdoor education, so I can't speak for all the other jobs. I'm sure there's like a lot of great jobs or even, you know, working at a restaurant just to like see what it's like and start networking. I know working, like especially here, some people come up and do the restaurant thing or some job that they can imagine having where they're from and then they see these other jobs, these tourist job, tourism jobs out in the woods or on the water, and they start meeting the people that work there, and they're like, wait, I could do that too. And then they jump ship over to mm-hmm. it, and then suddenly they're tour guides. And, you know, that, that customer service that they learned at the first job helps a lot, you know, get you to the next level in the second, and then from there it just takes off. And then, like, like you have, they fall in love with it. And it becomes a thing that they see a lot of empowerment and, you know, teaching kids and even showing some adults things that they never seen before. Yeah, exactly. I worked with a 17-year-old that started out as the bike mechanic. And I guess Ryan needed to have him out there on a tour and he just got thrown into it. And Ryan saw that he was a really good tour guide. And now he's a tour guide. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, that's that's probably something that did he 
come back changed from that experience? Like realizing, oh, tour, like tour guiding is what I want to do, you know, at least for a season or something instead of just, you know, the bike mechanic, ex- knowing what to expect every day. Oh, yeah. He has been thriving as a tour guide. And you can see him just like pick up all this information and put in a lot of effort just um, to know as much as he can and be the best tour guide. And he really is like one of the better tour guides that I've seen. When you were in Chicago deciding whether to come up here, like a lot of people say, oh, I can't do that or I couldn't do that or, you know, I have all this stuff holding me back. And it's, you know, let's say it's just their, the job that they have or in sort of a smattering of friends left over from college or high school. When you made the leap and came up here, did you, did you think it was easy to leave that sort of stuff or how did, how did you think about it? I said that there was no way I could be a tour guide. Science is not my st- strong point I was a communications major it wasn't my background at all and I was like no there's no way I can like just go and talk to a group of people about like this ecosystem I don't even know what ecosystem means <laughs> <That's kidding. laughs> but um, I was actually looking for marketing jobs and I was talking to people about a doc rep position and then I just decided to be a tour guide with no pressure from Lou. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> um, but I'm so happy that I did. And, you know, like you can learn that kind of stuff really easily. Like pick up a book, talk to people about it. Like there's just being out there, you learn about it. Like the biggest thing is having the skill to talk to people and um, talk to people for four hours and manage big groups and everything else. You can learn as you go. And when you're talking about it every single day, two to four times a day, you're going to pick up on it really fast. Yeah, just repeating it over and over. If nothing else, (laughs) even if you're not interested in it, that's going to get you to remember it. Yeah, and plus it's a really fun place to learn about. And I'm sure other places are too. (laughs) What about the social side? Were you worried leaving friends or family? To go to a new play, this new last frontier in Alaska? Well, so Lou had been here for a summer, so I knew there was a big community here. Uh, I was definitely like a little nervous, as I think most people are, just making friends. But as you know, like the community here is just amazing. And there's so many like different events and different ways to meet people, no matter what you like to do. If you like to go out or go to jazz concerts or just walk in the woods. Like there's people here who are just like constantly down to do anything. And yeah. And plus like you are working with people. (laughs) So you meet people just through your work. Well, I want to thank you, Melissa, for coming on the podcast. It was great to talk to you. Thanks for having me, Joey. (laughs) I've been itching to do a podcast. (laughs) (laughs) I know you're so excited. (laughs) Yeah. That's it. That's the episode. The seasonals are Kelly Mogg, Ryan Deininger, me, Joey Ravinsky. The theme song by Ryan Deininger, Joe Williams, Louis Leva, Chappie, Thomas Hamilton. Tommy Hamilton.
Follow us on Instagram at the seasonals underscore. Like us on Facebook. Listen to our next episode. That's it. We're out. Hello, everyone. Before this episode, I want to let you know that issue four of the Seasonals Quarterly Magazine is out. It is on our website, theseasonals.com slash shop. If you like what we're doing at the podcast, show us some love. Go grab a magazine. Maybe get one for your grandma or your oma. I hear omas love the magazine. What's an oma, you ask? Well, listen close to this episode and Melissa Fudge will tell you.